The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, everybody, we are taking a break, and we're going to start a series for this month called God Is, where we look at the attributes of God. And if you're on our Facebook page, you've noticed that I've been posting some things that were interesting to me. So, for example, one of the things that I wrote into the Google search engine was God is, and you know how the Google autofills, or it, it didn't say things that I was hoping that Google would say. Or when I searched, what does the Bible say about, it didn't say God on the entire list. It didn't say Jesus, God, or the Holy Spirit. It says, what does the Bible say about prayer? What does the Bible say about how to read the Bible? What does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about all these things? But oddly enough, when I just typed in the words, what does the Bible say about Google did not autofill in the main character of the Bible. So over this month, I want us to take a deep dive into the attributes and character and nature of God. God is a massive God, and, and the things that we're going to look at, we're going to look at some big concepts and words, but don't be scared of them. We're going to read a lot of God's names over these next five weeks. I don't want you to get intimidated by them, but God has many names. And if you stop for just one moment and think about just the size of our creation, and that God himself created it. The Bible starts off with, in the beginning, God created. The Bible says in various places that he holds the galaxies in the span of his hands. And in light of that, I wanted to just run us through something really quick. So if you would turn your eyes to the screen, I'm going to narrate some of the things that are going on in our universe. And I want you to think about how big God must be if he created this and controlled this as we look at God's self-existence and eternal nature today. So that's our earth. We're on it right now. In case you didn't know, we are spinning about a thousand miles per hour, like a basketball on a fingertip, a thousand miles per hour. And the average speed of the earth that it's traveling around the sun is 67,000 miles per hour. And right now, you don't even feel it. There's not even a breeze if you're on this side of the room because it was so cold, I left that AC off. The moon is 240 kilometer or miles away from, 240,000 miles away from the earth. The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. And that's our solar system. Our solar system is one solar system of many traveling 450,000 miles per hour through the Milky Way galaxy. It takes our solar system 225 million years for the sun to travel around just what we call the Milky Way. That's our galaxy. In the Milky Way, it's estimated that there are approximately 400 billion stars in just our galaxy. 400 billion stars of which our sun is one single star. If you keep traveling outward from our galaxy, which is an average sized galaxy, bigger than some, not bigger than all, the next closest galaxy is the Andromeda galaxy. These two galaxies right there make up about one of what in the observable universe is estimated to be 170 billion galaxies that are then full of stars and moons and planets and nebula and gases. The nerdy scientists in the world try to use their math and equations. These things I don't do because I went to Bible college and seminary. But once you go from galaxies, then you get into superclusters, and the universe as we understand it now is expanding. There are some theories that differ, 
but from all of these galaxies and all of these clusters of stars, the Bible says that God is the creator. He is the sustainer. There is not a far-off star that he is not aware of. And I know some of you right now, the, the science people in the room, you're thinking, well, wait a second. If God, if God knows all of these stars, if God created all of these stars, why are we just one itty-bitty people on one itty-bitty rock circling around one itty-bitty sun? Is there more to it? How did it all begin? Because in, in certain schools, you'll learn theories. You'll learn theories about what started the universe. Or rather, if I'm going to put it more aptly, since I'm just talking about creation, the fact that God existed before time began and God will always exist. He is infinite in nature and size and scope and knowledge. The interesting thing that I thought about this week and read about was that what we think about God is the most important thing in our life. What we think of when we think of God will shape, shape the way that we treat our spouse and treat others. It will shift the way that we love people. It will shift the way that we sing songs to him. What we think about God will change everything because if God is this small being in our mind or just a loving character in the world, it may not strike the awe that God had intended to strike within us. So this month, this is what we are unpacking. And today, I'm going to be reading through verses. They're in your bulletin. If you didn't get your bulletin, they're not on the stage because we're just flying through some of these. But I want us to think about this God. I know I'm going to get it out of the way right now. Some of you are thinking, okay, Big Bang stuff. I just wanted to read an amazing quote. I thought this was a brilliant quote. Uh, and this is from somebody who is not a believer in Jesus or God. He's an astrophysicist. And it's, uh, it's interesting because being an astrophysicist, being something who embraces the science, uh, scientific theories of the origin of the world, I thought it was intriguing that this person said this. The Big Bang is not a theory of the creation of the universe. Full stop. Done. Call it. Burn that sentence into your brain. Say it before you go to sleep and the first thing when you wake up. The Big Bang theory is a model of the history of the universe. And that's it. Don't try to stuff anything else into that framework. The Big Bang Theory is fantastic at describing everything that happened afterwards, but before it, we're a bit lost. His name is Paul Sutter. He's an astrophysicist. He said, no matter what we know or don't know, with all of the theories and the math that we have, we do know this. No one knows how the world started. Which is interesting to me, because the very first sentence in the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And it doesn't, I don't care where you're at, you can, you can disagree with me, but I'm going to stand and say that if we believe in the word of God, I believe that in the beginning, God was there. He is the great creator. There was nothing before him. There's nothing that pre-existed, that predated God. Job looked at this God and he said this in Job 11, 7 to 8. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? So, you might ask, okay, if God is this big, if God, the book of Psalms says, holds the galaxies in the span of his hands, 
170 billion galaxies, each full of hundreds and hundreds of millions of stars, each with their own millions and billions of orbiting planets. And God says, it is mine. I made it. I sustain it. I hold it up by the power of my will. And in this moment, in this moment, the Godhead, in Christianity we call it the Trinity, in the very first verse, in the beginning, Elohim, is, literally means God, plural. There is something about God where he talks to himself, where there are beings within his being, persons within his being. And God begins unfolding this story, the same God who rips space open and creates things from nothing. He says, now I, I want to talk to these people. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. It's a terrifying thought to me. This week I, I was reading a very good and small book. If you're into books and you want to study this topic, I recommend The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. It's 113 pages. And he's old dead guy. It's just a book that goes chapter by chapter through the attributes of God. Because when you think about this God being this scope, having nothing before him, having no one above him, being more present than any being who has ever existed, it can sometimes make us feel so small. Which I think we as humans actually want. I think that's the reason why we're drawn to magnificent things. So it's a reason why you can go to the ocean for you ocean people like me and you can just stare because it's something so big. I remember as a young child, I had very foolish ideas of how powerful I was. Uh, and just humor me. Any of you grew up by a beach that had waves in it? Anyone try to punch the waves to see if you could beat up the wave? No, just me. Okay. How about this one? This is me, and I've seen my kids do this. I don't know why, in my little pea brain, this is why you, you know that this church needs Jesus to survive. I used to walk about 10 feet from where the water ended at the beach, and I would dig the deepest hole that my five-year-old arm could carve out. And it was deep, and it was a little moist down there, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to take the ocean and fill up this hole that's 10 feet from where the water was. And if you've never done this experiment or sent your kids to it, it's, it's a good one. If you want some free time, you just tell your kids, hey, if you fill up this hole with ocean water, I'll give you $100. And here's a bucket. That's all you get, this bucket. And they'll go. And I used to remember going, and I would run, and I'd pour it in, and there'd be a little bit. And then I'd run and fill up my, my little sandcastle upside down bucket thing, and I'd go and I'd pour it in. But all the water that I poured in was gone. So where to go? So I said, okay, I'm going to get more, and I'd keep pouring it in. And if I were lucky, I would get maybe a few inches of water, and I finally caught on, and I began to watch it. I'd watch the water go down, and I'd ask my mom, Mommy, where did the water go? Where is it going? She goes, it's going back into the ocean. So then I'm thinking, if I go down there, I end up out there. So I started digging. I wanted to dig. But I'm not going to do this with my body. That's why I, God gave me siblings. God gave me siblings to send, send through tunnels at beaches. But it's this what we're doing right now. This trying to study God. We are literally with the tiniest cup and bucket of, of water. We're trying to 
grab what is infinite and eternal, and we're trying to understand it. It's literally like this kid just pouring water into a hole that he dug with his hands. And I don't want us to walk out of here thinking, well, now I understand God. You have, and I have, as much of a chance of understanding God as five-year-old Ryan had of draining the ocean into that hole. He is infinite. It doesn't mean that we don't attempt it. It doesn't mean that we don't want to know it. As a matter of fact, it means the very opposite. If something is so vast, we should crave to know as much about this being that we possibly can know. And in this Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, we read this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven, which is the universe, and on earth. The visible things, the things like us and this, and the invisible things like the spirits, the angels, the demons, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. If Jesus stopped holding all things together, then all things would fall apart. We, in the realness that we feel that we are, are a shadow compared to the reality of who God is. And that brings me to a story that I want to talk about. The first time that God was introducing himself to someone in a very odd way. Some of you know the story because it's the, one of the most famous stories. It's the story of Moses in the burning bush. Moses had lived 40 years of his life as a prince of Egypt. And then he was banished and became a shepherd. He thought that he was in retirement. It was the good life. He just watched his sheep, drank the milk, ate the meat, had fun with his family. And then one day he sees a bush that is on fire. And the bush called out to him, Moses, Moses. I don't know about you, but I don't usually walk toward things that are crazy. If I saw a bush on fire and I didn't know this story, did not know this story, and it said, Ryan, Ryan, I'd call the fire department and be like, help, help. There's a fire. Moses just walked up to a bush on fire. And then the bush said, take off your shoes. Every time that people told me to put shoes on in churches, I always reminded them after I read this passage, nowhere in the Bible does God say put on shoes. Only does he say, take off your shoes. So you can take off your shoes. And it's weird. It's take off your shoes because the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Holy means set apart. And, and God said, whatever you've stepped on with your shoes, I don't want that between me and you. I want there to be nothing between you and me, Moses. There's nothing. There's your flesh upon my ground where I am emanating my glory and power. And he said, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people in Egypt. You are going to go set them free. And Moses asks a very good question. Who are you? And God gives a very famous, yet if we can unwind all of the churchness that's been put in our brains, nobody says, when you say, hey, who are you? Nobody says, I am. It's odd. I be that I be. I am that I am. We, we have a very common thing. You introduce someone. You say, hi, my name is Rafi. Hi, Rafi. I'm Ryan. Then we follow it up with like, what do you do for a living? Blah, 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 blah. Imagine, Moses had a conversation with God, and God says, take your shoes off. That's weird, number one. So Moses is there, shoeless, in front of a burning bush. 
And then Moses is told, you're going to go do all these amazing miracles. You're going to do things with my power that nobody will be able to explain. And Moses says, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. Who are you? I am. Now, this is interesting to me because God has so many names in the Bible. But when he spoke his name, the name was simply he is. He, he is that he is. He, I am that I am. I be that I be is literally the translation. If you look at all the names for God, Yahweh, that's when you see the capital L-O-R-D in your Bible. It's the name Yahweh. It means the self-existent one. He always existed and will always exist. You can always rely on him because he is eternal. Adonai is God is the Lord of over all. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, he reigns forever. Therefore, you can find your safety in him because his kingdom knows no ends. There's no enemy that can storm his gates. Yahweh Makedishim, the Lord your sanctifier. He forgives your sins in Jesus and his Holy Spirit then changes you from within. Yahweh Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. He cares for you as a shepherd cares and tends for his sheep. Yahweh Shema, the Lord who is present. He will never leave you or forsake you. If he knows the furthest galaxies, if he has numbered the stars and the planets and the moons and the gas systems and the dark matter by percentage in the entire scope of the universe, and at the same time, he is Yahweh Shema, the God who says, I will not leave you. When your life is unraveling, I will be there. I will collect every tear that you cry. I will walk with you down the beach. And as the poem tells us, when you can't walk, I will lift you up and walk for you. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, our healer. There's nothing that you eventually one day in eternal glory will not be healed from. There is no cancer that travels from this world to the next world. There is no ailment. There is no autoimmune disease that will go from this life into the next life. God will bring an end to all of our sicknesses because all of our illnesses and all of sin and brokenness was put on Jesus on the cross for you and for me. Yahweh Tzitkenu, the Lord, is our righteousness. It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. God is your righteousness. God is for you. What you could not be for yourself. Yahweh, Jireh, Yirah, the Lord will provide. Yahweh, Nisi, the Lord is our banner. One of the chapel family, when they were going into surgery, they, God drew their heart to this, Yahweh, Nisi. And that's why since I had that conversation with this person, every Sunday at the end, I say, may the Father put a banner over your life. Yahweh, Nisi, may there be a banner over your life that speaks God's attributes and who God is over you. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is our peace. When you feel like there is no peace, God will give you peace that surpasses understanding. Peace that only someone who, who owns all things can give you. And I know that there is, are things in life that feel difficult. And, and this happens when we take our eyes off of this God. And we stop looking upward. We stop looking at the word that points us to him, and we zoom all the way in on our problems. And our problems become bigger and bigger in our field of view, and God gets pushed out to the peripheral. There are so many names for God. Yahweh Gamola, the God of recompense. Elohim, the creator. El, El Elyon, the God most high. El Gibor, the mighty God. El Olam, the everlasting God. El Roy, the strong one who sees you. El Shaddai, the mighty God of Jacob. El Chul, the God who gives birth. El Dia, 
the God of knowledge, Atik Yum, the Ancient of Days. This is the God that we serve. So in thinking about this God, I just want, I want you to, to ponder his bigness. And I'm going to run through a list of things. But I think if we are looking at God as he is in the Bible, if we're saying you are God and I'm not God, and I'm going to let these truths sink into our hearts this morning. I'm praying, Lord, I, I want you to, to drive these truths into our hearts so that it changes the way that we walk and sleep and drive and forgive and live and love and shop and say hello to our neighbors and cook dinners for someone in need and go to, l to serve the poor and go to love people who are not loved by this world. Lord, help this vision of who you are and your attributes rattle us to our soul right now. Because if you're not blown away by the truth about God, you're asleep. I'm going to run through. Number one, God has no beginning. We've been saying this. There's nothing that was before God. The law of cause and effect has to go backward and backward and backward until someone, and scientists, philosophers, theologians, everyone comes to the conclusion where you have to say, okay, something had to exist outside of existence. Because in our universe, the causes and effects go hand in hand. So what caused the first cause? God. He had no beginning. God never ends. It is filling the, the hole in the sand with water. It's, an, it's a futile task. He has no end to his limits of power. Therefore, he has no end to his limits of love for you. When I say God loves you, when I say God is there for you, I'm not saying it from the human creature sense. If I say I'm there for you, if your best friend says I'm there for you, you will be let down eventually. When God says I am here for you, he is the only being that cannot be prevented from being away from you. No one can say stop it God, I'm going to hold you back with my arm. Stop it God, I'm going to hold you back with my will. God says I go where I want. Psalm 115 verse 3 says the God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. God is absolute reality. There is no reality before God. There is no reality outside of God. He is not one of many realities. He is simply there and absolutely there. If he did not exist, we would not exist. The things that we think are real, this table, this paper, it exists because God existed and brought carbon into creation. We exist because God created physics. We exist because God created elements and spoke life into this world. He is the ultimate and absolute reality. Next, God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing or no one to bring him into being, to support him, to counsel him, to make him what he is. Every one of us depended on somebody at some point. A mother, a father, a grandparent, aunt, uncle. Even now, we depend we depend on others. God is the singular being in the universe who does not depend on anyone else other than the counsel of himself. God, God's absolute being means that all the universe in comparison to God is tiny, minuscule, a drop in the ocean. I love Star Trek. I've been watching the new Picard series. If you haven't seen it, if you're a Trekkie and you've not seen the new Picard series on CBS, it is worth the $5.99 you have to pay a month. 
just that show. I love Star Trek because I think as a child who didn't go a lot of places, uh, my family didn't vacation until I was older in life. And then as soon as I moved out, they went on all the vacations. That's how firstborns get dealt. And um, so I would sit. And as, for as far back as I can remember, whenever Star Trek was on, when I stayed home from school, it was either like Days of Our Lives, Saved by the Bell, or Star Trek. And I was just all in on Star Trek. And I've watched every Star Trek episode multiple times. Jean-Luc Picard is the best. Fight me if you think I'm wrong. And, and when they go warp speed, engage the warp engines. Warp nine, engage. Number one, engage. And the stars go, and then they, and it comes out of warp. It always does that, and it's still. And you see these planets, these people like Klingons and Romulans and all these other things that none of you care about if you're not nerds. I was like, Lord, could it be? Could it be that one day I'll find a race of people who are like me? No. And I think about how they travel distances and it takes light years. Light years, the distance it takes, it's distance, the distance light travels in one year at full tilt. <laughs> the farthest man-made object that we've sent out from Earth. We sent it out in the 70s. It's called Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Voyager 1 is the, the furthest traveling thing that we've sent out. It's traveling at thousands of kilometers per hour. And it's traveled to date from like the late 1970s until now. Over 40 years. About 20 light hours. Light hours. And it's past our solar system. It's gone. It's just sending back little microwave radio frequencies and trying to chart things as 1970s technology just disintegrates into space. For 40 years, at speeds that nothing that we have travels, like this thing is only 20 light hours. The speed of light for 20 hours. And it took us 40 years with one object. God says, I've got it all. <laughs> There's like these storms on Jupiter. There's these moons that are getting discovered. We're discovering planets all the time. And I know some of you are going to ask the question. You're going to have to save it for next week because I didn't do live Q&A today. Some of you are already thinking in your mind, are there aliens? I don't know. That's, that's easy. I don't know, but I do know this, that if there are, then God knows them, is the creator of them and the sustainer of them. If there are Romulans somewhere in space, God created them. If there are Klingons, God created them. Now, obviously, there's not going to be a bunch of weird humanoids because we know the origin story if you're a nerd like me. Anyway, but God is there. There's not, not only the big galaxies, does he know, but right now, somewhere, galaxies and galaxies away, there's this massive star that we can't even see yet because the light of that star hasn't reached us. Because the light travels only at the speed of light. So there, there is a star that is existing right now that we don't even know is there. We can't see it with our telescopes. And there is a planet around there. And there's a speck of something in that planet. And God knows every single molecule 
from the largest to the smallest. There is not one dot of virus in this world that God is not aware of in this present moment. There's nothing at the bottom of our ocean that's going to catch God off guard. Not some weird fish with a light dangling off his head or some weird jellyfish that sunk a thousand ships in the Caribbean. God knows it all. This universe is minuscule compared to the scale of who he is. God's absolute being an absolute standard means that he himself is a standard of truth and goodness and beauty. Beauty exists because God exists. The reason why we love looking at beautiful things is because we were made to look at God. And God gave us these things that we can look at and say, that's incredible. And God says, yeah, I, I made it. It points to me. I made the sun going around and it goes through your sky and your earth is spinning. It all points to me. Mountains point to me. The sunset at night. I don't know why it happens, but as soon as that sun goes down, God could have just made the, the light to work in such a way where this orb just went down to the sky. But instead, he made it so that in Florida, every single night, God just takes a paintbrush and goes, wow. And people are down there at the Riverwalk and Apollo Beach and Anna Maria just doing this with their cell phone. Or actually, last week's sermon, they're doing this, taking selfies in front of God's creation. God did say that he likes us a lot. He said we were very good when he created us. So maybe it's a good thing. God is the standard of truth and goodness and beauty. Everything else is secondary. Everything else depends on God. God alone is primary. God's absolute standard-bearing, large-scale, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-engaging means that God in his compassion is more than we understood. God's absolute being means that he is the most important person that is. He's worthy of our highest praise in singing and honor. Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This God who is in the heavens right now and the angels are screaming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And there are cracks of thunder. The foundation is shaking. There's peals of light emanating and rippling out from the throne room. And this is the God. When I say this God became human, this is the God. The God who holds it all, sustains it all, says, now I'm going to take all of this, and I'm going to cram it in and squeeze it into a body. And I'm going to walk around and subject myself to the human experience. I'm going to let these things that I create and sustain spit on me and drive thorns into me. I'm going to let them mock me and betray me, and I'm going to die for them. And I'm going to take all of this deity, and it's going to get nailed to a cross. And if that is what happened, if this is the story of the Bible that we preach, this is how much God loves you. This is how much he is in control. He is wildly untamable. He is the I am. And there's nothing that could keep him from you. If he would do this incarnation thing for you and for me, this God who does all else, who is all else, who is ultimate absolute reality, then how secure can we rest tonight? To just say, God... A bill? God, the sickness, the worst that any sickness can do to you is to teleport you from here to being with this God where you could just stare and drool because he's so much bigger than you thought. People say, oh, when I see God, I've got questions for him. 
bull honky. You got nothing but on your face. Every time someone sees God in the Bible, they go, whap. You're God. Isaiah sees God. I'm about to die. John sees God. Faints as though dead. Ezekiel sees God. Falls on his face. Moses sees God. What do I do? Who are you? Stuttering. Can't get out the words. I can't do this. Time and time again. This is the God we're going to study. This is the God that I want us to press into. We're going to look next week at his, the necessary being of God. Then we're going to look at the personal nature of God. And we're going to look at the trinity of God. We're going to solve the trinity in every question that anyone's ever had in history. It's not true. And then the, the compassion. This is who God is for you and for me. I pray that it would change you. That you would be humbled today. And that every time you look at God and you feel that sense of tiny insignificance, you would remember that that same God said, I'm coming for you. And I'm never going to let you go once I get you. Let that change your life. If you've never thought about God in this way, if, you, if you've never thought about what it means when I, when I say Jesus died for you, I'm saying God died. This God died for you. If you've never thought about that, it will change you to your core. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I want to close with one of his prayers. Lord, how great is our dilemma. In thy presence, silence best becomes us, but love inflames our hearts and constrains us to speak. Were we to hold our peace, the stones would cry out. Yet if we speak, what shall we say? Teach us to know what we cannot know. For the things of God no man knoweth, but the Spirit of God. Let faith then, Lord, support us where reason fails. And we shall think because we believe not in order that we may believe. Jesus, we make this our prayer. Let faith rise up within us to see and behold your beauty, your truth, and your goodness. This is all for you, Lord. It's, it's all about you. And may we be better for it. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.